What's going on everyone? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. So grateful that you're tuning in with us for another online service. Before we get into today's message, uh, I wanna pray for us a little bit. Heavenly Father, uh, you have created opportunities for us to connect with you and you are eager to connect with us. And I pray that we would be able to, to hear your words spoken to us and that those words would transform us. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a couple of weeks ago, I was reading through Twitter and a pastor friend of mine said something that really resonated with me and I wanted to share that with you. Uh, he said that when, when COVID-19 is no longer our day-to-day -day reality, in 10 years, 15 years from now, when you go to get some food and the cashier looks at you and says, well, that will be 2020 for your meal. And you hear that name, you hear that number 2020 and you turn to your friend and you start telling the stories of this moment right now Will those stories, the true versions, will they be worth telling? Will the story of our faith community of Renaissance, will those stories be stories worth telling? One thing that I know to be true is that the decisions that we make every single day, every single moment of every single day, that is what is going to decide whether or not our stories are worth telling. That right now you and I are writing, are building our stories moment by moment, day by day, and decision by decision. The decisions that we make every single day will determine the stories that we tell. Now, I think now more than ever, what this world needs to see is a non-anxious presence in, in the world. What you and I need are, are things that can happen to us internally that can create something that the Bible calls joy. For the last number of weeks, we've been talking about this concept of joy, and we've defined it as a settled state of confidence and hope. The image that I've been using week after week is that of a buoy in the ocean. And buoys in the ocean are able to float above the surface no matter what is going on around them. It could be a complete storm and the buoys remain afloat atop the surface because they are anchored to something deep down below the surface that enables them to stay afloat. My hope for us in this series was that, is that you and I would be able to anchor ourselves more deeply to the bedrock of God and his word, and that that would give us this thing called joy. And that's what the world needs right now to see. It needs to see a non-anxious people who are able to float above the pandemic. Now, this is not being dismissive. This is not ignoring the, the, hard, the hardships and the realities of life, but this is that we would have something internally inside of us that would allow us to have joy. Now, the person that we've turned to to help guide us in this endeavor to have joy is a man named Paul. And Paul is writing this letter called Philippians to a church where he is uh, in prison. And Paul is in prison and he is chained to a Roman guard. And Paul has given this, this church in Philippi and also to us instructions and pathways that you and I can create joy in our life. Philippians is a short book. It's only about four chapters. It could take about 15 minutes to read through it in its entirety. And in these four chapters, Paul mentions this concept of joy about 16 times. And in the middle of a prison, Paul has this thing that's keeping him afloat, despite being in pretty horrendous circumstances. So I say all that to say that I want us to learn from Paul and the things that he's telling us to do, even if they don't really feel natural to you, or even if they don't feel like they're going to produce the results that you want to have in, in your life. I remember years ago when I first got married, I was uh, at my family reunion in Virginia and there was a couple at the church that we go to every year that had been married over 70 years. 
Me being a newbie, I went up to the couple at the church and I said, hey, what is the secret sauce? What's your secret? How do you remain married for 70 years? And this couple was not just married for 70 years, but like they were just happy and just their faces were so vibrant and I wanted whatever they had. Now, he could have told me to do anything and I would have listened because I knew that he knew things about marriage that I could never even comprehend. I remember his words to me like they were yesterday. He told me, always choose your battles. Now, there have definitely been moments in, in marriage where I have wanted to take everything and make everything into a battle and into a fight. And I remember his words in the back of my mind, choose your battles. And his words have served me a whole lot. And I know my wife can say amen to that. Now, what is it about following someone's advice who has gone before you and they know a whole lot more about it? It might not make sense to you in the moment, but we're still called to put those words into practice and see what they produce in our life. Following Paul in this journey of joy is similar to that. I want us to put his words into practice and see what they do in our lives. And for today, we're looking at a scripture in Philippians 2 verses 12 through 16, where Paul is giving us another thing to do, something else that will help us develop joy in our lives. And full disclosure, it might feel like it it's not gonna work, or it might feel like, what does this have to do with joy? But I still want us to pay really close attention and put it into practice in our life. And here's what Paul says in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And here's where we're going today. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine like lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or in vain or labor in vain. Uh, we're going to focus in on verse 14 today. Do all things without grumbling, or another word is do all things without complaining. Now, I want us to define grumbling before we get too far down the road and give a couple of caveats of what grumbling is not uh, so that we're all on the same page. And here's what a good definition of grumbling is to me. Grumbling is an inward discontent expressed to the wrong person. Uh, grumbling is an inward discontent or an inward dissatisfaction that you have that is expressed or verbalized to the wrong person. Now, in normal situations, you and I would have absolutely no shortage of things that we could complain about. But here's the thing about the coronavirus pandemic, it is a multiplier. Whatever, that, whatever we would normally have to complain about, now we have that times 20. There are so many things that we can complain about, and here's what I want for you, and here's what I want for me. That you and I would have a settled state of confidence and hope that would allow us to A, develop contentment in our lives, but when we have discontentment in our lives, that we would express those things to the right person. And in this case, for most of these things that we're talking about today, that is God. Now, but I also wanna make sure that you guys are not hearing me say something that I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every time you experience a negative emotion or you talk to someone about something, that that's grumbling. Uh, there are so many times in life where we go to people for wisdom, 
on how we should handle a situation. And we're disclosing some details about how things have happened so that we can chart a better course forward for our lives. Seeking wisdom from people is a good thing. Other times we're seeking comfort from people and where we've just been hurt by something or something has really disappointed us. And God uses other people to speak into our lives, to help us to draw closer to him and to heal. But there are other times when we're just complaining about other people. Now, I know this to be true for my own life. Uh, I'm, I've confessed it many times that I am a recovering people pleaser. And it's way easier to talk to my friend or to talk to my wife about someone than it is for me to talk to them directly. But I want us to rewind a little bit in chapter two and look at what Paul says about um, why we need to take our complaints about other people to them themselves. And here's what Paul says in verse three through four. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests. What might your interests be? That you don't wanna deal with the frustration and anxiety and the difficulty of having a difficult conversation. So don't look to those interests, but rather look to the interests of others. I've heard so many times that someone in the community group, for example, just dominates the whole conversation and they're being, or someone is being completely negative the whole time, or someone does something wrong. And instead of taking it to the person so that that person can grow from it, so that that person can learn their actions and how wrong they were in certain circumstances, we take it to other people. We go home, or in this case, we're all home most of the time now anyway, we call someone else and say, yeah, community group was kind of whack because this one person just talked over and over and over and over again. What does scripture tell us to do? It tells us to consider their interests. And in considering their interests, the better road would be instead of talking about them to someone else, that we talk about them to them. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 18. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, so by sinning, it doesn't mean that they have like robbed you or anything like that. It could just be that they have missed the mark in dealing with you. If your brother or sister sins against you, go tell them their fault between you and them alone. So we said that grumbling is this inward discontent expressed to the wrong person. So when you have situations that you have some inward discontent, I want you to express it to the right person. Now, again, I've said that I hate conflicts. I hate difficulty and difficult conversations. But here have been the things that have really helped me to express my inward discontent to them in, uh, in a correct and, and healthy way so that I can clear what's going on inside of me and also that I can do something that helps them out as well. The first thing is that I, I always pray for them and I pray for me. One of the, the, the best things you can do for someone who you're angry at or you feel like has wronged you is to pray for them. It might not change them, but it always will change you. I found this to be true in my own life. Uh, it develops an empathy for them. And I start to think about the things that might have driven them to do what they did uh, that, that harmed me. So first is you pray for them. Second is you need, to, you need to humble yourself, right? So Paul says this in verse um, three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. He's calling us to a humble posture in the way that we approach people. And here's the thing about humility. Humility does not assume that you know why they did what they did. One of my friends is a professor and she told the story of a time where this kid showed up to her class late and she was angry that this kid showed up late. It was an important lecture. And after the class, the kid comes down and says to the teacher, uh, I'm sorry, 
my mother died this morning and I didn't know where to go, so I just came here. Now that hit her right in the chest and she was absolutely surprised and stunned that that student, that that was the reason that the student came late to class that day. Humility says, I don't know what was going on in that person's life and accepts the fact that you and I are not mind readers. We are not God. We do not understand and do not know everything why people act the way that they do. And oftentimes the story is way more complex than the story that we're saying out loud. So one, I pray for them. Two, I, I make sure I try to humble myself and remind myself that I am not God. I don't know all the answers. And the third thing, this, this is what we're called to do. We're called to be truthful and helpful, right? So the Christian standard of communication is not just what is true. It's also what is helpful. So you should never gloss over details. You should be truthful in the way you communicate to someone. If someone has done something that's wronged you, or if someone is doing something that's, that's wrong, you should tell them the truth, but you should do it in a helpful way. In Ephesians 4 and 29, it says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. God calls us to clear, honest, gracious communication in a timely fashion with people. So if you have discontent with someone, take it to them in a clear, honest, gracious, and timely way. Now, but there are other times when our discontent is not directed at a person. In the case of this pandemic, your discontent about uh, a virus that has changed the world uh, upside down and turned the world upside down, you can't just direct that at an, any individual. I think if we're being honest, we need to take that discontent or frustration that we may be feeling about canceled plans, canceled weddings and trips and graduations and losses of, of job, of communication, of friends and, and all the things that we would love to do to take that discontent to the right person. That instead of talking to your friends about it, that we would turn these things to God. In scripture, the opposite of grumbling is not stuffing something down, it's, it's processing it with the, with the right person. And in this case, it's grieving well and grieving biblically in a way that we can pour out our frustrations on the right person. And that right person is God. Now, one of the ways that we can do this well is something that we talked about a couple weeks ago, that you and I need to develop a way that you and I can name the losses that we are experiencing and to take our complaints, our frustrations, our angers to God in prayer. And here's one thing that I do. I'll set a timer for about 10 minutes. And for 10 minutes, I will think of all of the negative things that are going on in my life. And I set a timer for 10 minutes because I don't wanna short myself to where I'm unable to really think through and process everything. And I also don't wanna just drown in negativity either. So I set a timer for 10 minutes, and in that 10 minutes, I write down all the things that are bothering me, all the complaints I have against God, and then I pray through those things, and I take those complaints and those frustrations to God. And here's what David, the author of one Psalm says in, in scripture. Uh, he says, I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him, to God. So we name our losses. And the second thing we do to grieve well uh, and to take our discontent to God is we, we wait. One of the biggest frustrations that I've experienced in, in life and being a follower of Jesus is that God's time scheduling and, and my time are not linked together. The way that God handles situations and my timing and my preferred timing for situations, they're never the same. 
And if you're gonna follow God, if you're gonna follow Jesus, we're called to, to wait patiently for him. Those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. So we're called to name our losses and grieve and be honest about those things and uh, also to, to wait patiently for God. And that means revisiting the same things over and over and over again until there's a resolution. So in some ways, we need to make sure that we are expressing our, our grief and our discontent to the right people. If it's an individual, take it to them. And if it's a God, take it to him. But why does Paul say this? To do everything without grumbling. He says this for a number of reasons. And the first reason is that um, grumbling disregards the cross of Christ. Let me say that again. One of the reasons that Paul tells us that you, one thing you should never do in your life, like you should never ever grumble, uh, it's so unhelpful, is because it disregards the cross of Christ. Let me reread um, the scripture for this morning again. Now, verse 12 starts off with the word, therefore. And as many preachers have said when I was growing up, whenever you see the word therefore, you should always know what it's there for. So in verse 12, it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. In the verses right before this, in verses 6 through 11, Paul goes to great lengths to talk about all that Christ has done to die for us on the cross. How Christ comes down to earth to a people that do not deserve him. And many times we reject him. And then it says he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And what was the purpose of that? that Jesus was taking our sins, all the things that we did, he was taking it with him to the cross. And he did it voluntarily. One of my favorite sermons growing up was hearing an old preacher preach that it wasn't the nails that, that held Jesus to the cross. It was his love for you and for me. And Paul goes through all of this list and tells us all the things that God has done in Christ to not get us back, but to win us back, to go to the cross and die for our sins. And therefore, based on that, don't ever complain, don't ever argue. One of my favorite illustrations is uh, this one documentary on HBO, and shout out to everybody who has HBO Go. Um, one of my favorite documentaries is one called The Witness, and The Witness is a story about all of these people who witnessed a crime being taken place. And in the documentary, it talks about this one woman by the name of uh, Kitty Genovese, in uh, Kew Gardens in Queens, and she was 28 years old. And on her way home to her apartment one day, she gets mugged and attacked. She starts screaming out, help, help, someone is attacking me. A couple of lights went on, uh, a couple of people looked out the window, but here's the thing, nobody came down. The attacker who had been harming her and stabbed her uh, left when he saw lights go on, but then he came back and he finished the job and he killed her. Now, during the documentary, they go to great lengths to understand why nobody came down, and it boils down to this. If you come down, you yourself risk your own well-being. In your apartment, there's safety. In your apartment, there's wholeness. You don't have to worry about yourself. If you wanna take care of numero uno, stay upstairs. Now, what do I say all of this for uh, as it pertains to Christ? Jesus is in heaven. He hears the screams and the groans of his people. 
And not just at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life, he comes down from heaven and goes to the cross and he dies. Jesus coming to earth is a story of a God who has come down, not just at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. And what Paul is doing here is saying, therefore, based on all that God has done for us, don't complain. Now, it's fascinating. In this scripture, it, like, it looks back to a scripture in Deuteronomy 32, 4 and 5, where uh, Paul is actually using some of this language from where he uh, refers to to do all things without, discrum uh, without grumbling or disputing. And earlier in that passage where he talks about being blameless um, and holding fast to the word uh, of life, Paul harkens back to Deuteronomy 32, four through five, where God's people were complaining. And basically what Paul is doing here is grabbing us by the collar and saying, don't you know all that was done for you in Christ? In Deuteronomy, God's people were complaining after God had delivered them from Egypt and gone to great lengths to free them. And now they're in the wilderness awaiting their promised land and they're complaining that they don't like the food on the menu. Peter picks up on the same uh, notion in 1 Peter, and he talks about uh, this concept of how it dishonors God and it disregards the cross uh, by complaining and grumbling. And here's what Peter says. He says, for you know that you were redeemed from your empty way, of, empty way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. What Peter and Paul and so many biblical authors have written over the years is God himself has come down and spilled his precious blood for us. And we are like the spoiled brat kids who on Christmas wake up in the morning after our parents have given us all these gifts and say, is that it? Grumbling shows a discontent in our life. And a lot of that discontent is rooted in taking the cross out of the equation of how you process your life right now in this moment. And grumbling disregards that. Paul is grabbing us by the collar and saying, listen, don't you know the lengths to which God has gone to for you and for me? And when we include that, it gives us a whole different perspective on complaining. So number one, uh, grumbling disregards the, the cross of Christ. Number two, grumbling prevents you and I from representing Jesus well. Think about this. Grumbling prevents you and me from representing Jesus well. And this one is to all my Christian friends who are watching if your life's goal is to represent Christ well, you should never complain again. Uh, here's what we see in the scripture. He says, do all things without complaining, uh, without grumbling or disputing, so that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And think about that concept, lights as lights in the world. Jesus is called the light of the world, and he calls us to be the light of the world, that we would be a city on a hill, a shining light, a beacon of hope to people. And you and I reduce that, and we cover that light when we're complaining. The world needs to see a non-anxious, grateful, properly grieving witness in the world, not an anxious, complaining uh, body of Christ who claim that we trust God, who claim that we trust that God is good and faithful and in control, but yet grumbling reveals this inner discontent in our lives. Now, I love history. I'm a big history nerd. And I was reading about the way that the Christians and the church responded to plagues in history. 
One of these plagues happened in 251 AD, and this is really one of the things that was like lighter fluid for, church, for the church in the entire world. Now, up to this point, the church had been a relatively small group of followers of Jesus in the thousands and the tens of thousands. But when this happened, it exploded Christianity all over the place. Uh, what happened? There was this pandemic that was going on in 251 AD. And the way that Christians responded to the pandemic was so different than the way everyone else responded that people were curious about what is this thing? What is this God that you're serving? Why would you behave in the way that you are behaving? Now, so far, the way that Renaissance has responded to this pandemic has been in ways that have made me so proud. When I think about the calls that I'm on with the deacons at Renaissance, the men and women who are responsible for disseminating funds and helping people who have been negatively impacted by this pandemic. And so far, we've given away almost $70,000. And our goal in, uh, is to give away $135,000, which you have given so, so generously. When I think about the story that's going to be told from Renaissance is that when we couldn't meet, we were still meeting needs. And that makes me so proud to be a pastor here at this church. But we're nowhere near done. I want us to live in a way that people would look at us and say, what is it about you that would allow you to navigate this time with this something with what resembles most closely as, as joy? What is it about you that won't let you complain? And not that you're sealing your lips, but that you truly have a different outlook on life, that you're, you're not complaining about, about life, that we have this inner settled state of confidence and, and hope, this joy that is keeping us afloat. Now, uh, Paul says that we should be shining as lights in the world, and we cannot shine as lights in the world if we are known for complaining. In 1 Peter, again, Peter tells the church, and he's telling us also in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And holy is a word that means set apart, used, used for a different purpose, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. I want us to think about that for a second. Peter says, I want you to always be able to give an answer for people that ask you about the hope that lies within you. What does that imply? That implies that you and I are living questionable lives. Not questionable like, ah, I think they're kinda, they're kinda shaky, but questionable to say, what is it about you that allows you to float above the, above the surface even though you've lost your job? What is it about you that is experiencing all of these losses in your life, but you're doing it with joy? And that's gonna be one way that you and I are known and we can tell our story in, in a way that we'll be proud of. We'll make decisions day by day that when we look back on our life, we'll be proud of it. So number one, grumbling truly disregards the cross of Christ. Number two, Grumbling prevents us from being able to talk about Christ in a winsome way for my Christian friends watching this video. And number three, man, grumbling really just prevents our joy. What grumbling does is it takes your focus and it puts it on your situation and your circumstance, and it takes it away from God and his goodness and his care for you. It takes it away from, from scripture and God's promises, and it puts it and it magnifies it on the situation that is wrong. Now, again, God has given us a way that he wants us to deal with the negative emotions that we are experiencing it. Either if it's to a person, he wants us to go to that person. And if it's with him, he wants us to take it to him in prayer. 
we've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but what happens when you complain is that there are neural highways being built in your brain. And the more you and I complain, the easier and easier it becomes in our life. So part of the reason Paul says to never complain, to never grumble, is that in a lot of ways, it's an addictive behavior. The opposite is also true. That as you and I develop this thing called gratitude and making sure that we are finding ways that we could be grateful to God for his activity, for his saving power in our lives, that we would build different highways in our brains, the highways of gratitude. And we could obey that other scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in every situation, give thanks for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Part of the way that we stir this gratitude in our lives is what Paul says in verse 16 of the scripture. Paul talks about this word of life. And um, in verse 16, it says, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Now look at those first few words in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. What Paul is saying is that the way that you and I will be able to not grumble is that we have something else filling our brains and our minds, and it's God's word of life. And it's called the word of life because that's what it gives us. It gives us life. Now, this past Thursday, we started our early morning devotional time where we looked at a concept of surrender. And this Thursday, we're gonna be looking at a, a concept called adoration. Adoration is the process by which you and I are looking to scriptures not for what God has done per se, but who God is. And it's allowing us to see how big and good and in control God truly is over our lives. Now, this is one thing that I do and in order to hold fast to the word of life is that instead of looking at only my situations, that I turn to God and make sure that I'm looking at God in the right way. And I don't know any other way in my life that I could develop joy and I could not complain unless I bring God into the equation and I'm able to see him for who he is. And in this period of time, you and I need to carve out time to make sure that we are uh, holding fast to this word of life. None of us have a source of life running through, uh, through us that allows us to be independent from God. We have God's spirit inside of us that, that is gonna give us life, but the way he does this is by directing us to truth and to reminding us and reminds us of God's truth. And that's what we need to, to guard our lives. So this week, I really hope that you're taking some time to make sure that you are uh, making time to hold fast to God's word of life. So I don't want us grumbling because it disregards the cross of Christ. Uh, number two, I don't want us grumbling because it prevents the way, it prevents us from talking about Christ in a winsome way. And number three, I don't want us grumbling because it will remove our joy and take our focus off of God and put it on our situations. So this week, I want us to spend some time focusing in on the word of life. And if you're able to join us this Thursday morning, we would love to have you. Let me pray for us before we end today. Heavenly Father, I am grateful that you um, have done so many things in our life. And Lord, I'm so guilty of the times that I have disregarded, disregarded the cross of Christ because I didn't like my circumstances and I complained. I didn't grieve the situation. So Lord, would you remind me of how good you are? Would you allow me to see you and how much I am cared for and known and protected and loved? And even when I don't understand your actions, to be able to trust that they are still good. 
So Lord, would you allow us to, to see you in such a way that would prevent us from grumbling and that would give us joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.